2 Corinthians, so it's chapter 10. We'll look at it this morning. So this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Um, it was, never ceases to amaze me how churches have difficulties to deal with. And we find examples of that here, don't we? Paul's having to write to this church in Corinth because they are, they've become a divided church. Um, they have been teach, uh, are taught by false teachers and they've been drawn aside by those and drawn away from the truth. And they're also resisting Paul's authority. So there's a number of issues that Paul's had to deal with in this letter. And it's taken him all his wisdom to be able to write it in a way that is acceptable to them, but also challenging to them and getting over the points he wants to make. He has dealt at the beginning of the letter with the explanation about what his ministry is. He's also, in the last couple of chapters, talked about giving and the encouragement of how they should share what they have with other Christians. We now come to a section at the end of the, the letter where he, he's challenging them, or challenging those who are opposing him and those who are causing difficulties in the church there. So I'm going to read the chapter, chapter 10 from verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away, I beg that you beg that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. We started off quite clearly, hasn't he, by explaining how he feels and how they view him, but also how he's hoping he hasn't got to be too strong with them when he comes to visit them. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and, and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly increase, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, 
for we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This chapter, if you like, can be broken down into three. I want to look at it in three different sections. One is spiritual warfare, verses 1 to 6. Second one is spiritual authority, verses 7 to 11. And the third section is spiritual ministry, verses 12 to 18. So in the first section, the first six verses, we're looking at spiritual warfare. And it's interesting because it's not really what you expect to see in this chapter because it's almost like personal warfare. It's almost like personal attacks. But what is the accusation that's been made against Paul that he's having to answer? Well, they're saying that he is lacking in boldness, apart from when he writes. He's bold when he writes, but he's timid when he's with them. He seems to come across as a bit of a weakling, tells us that his speech, his words are not very um, um, plain, and he just doesn't seem to come across well. They are comparing him, and, he's, and Paul talks about this, in a worldly sense. They're comparing him with in, in the way the world does things. And one of the things we have to keep reminding ourselves is that we are no longer um, measuring ourselves the way the world does. We're no longer living the way the world does. And that needs to be a constant reminder because so much of our time is spent in the world. What I mean by that is the world as in society, if you like. We're spending all our time there. And therefore, we're influenced by what happens in the world. And here's a, a good reminder for us to remember that that's not the way that we should be thinking. But that's the way that they were thinking. They had these false teachers. And they, they were impressing the people in Corinth because they had... Um, big words that they're using, fancy words. They were being uh, overpowering in the way they presented themselves. And they were recommending each other. They were encouraging one another. Now, we see this happening in the church today. Uh, I've been to churches where you would think it was a performance that was taking place, that um, there's almost like a drum roll as the person enters the stage. There's loud music. Um, there's hallelujahs. Not necessarily in the right way. <laughs> but there's praise going to this person as they stand on the stage and present themselves. It is happening. It's happening more than we realize in this country today. And they're, they're doing the wrong thing because they're bringing glory to themselves. And they're recommending each other. They they stand there with recommendations from three or four of their friends as to why they should be there and how good they are. And Paul is saying to us that that's not the way we should be measuring things. Remember David, in, when he was being chosen to be the next king, and Samuel had to choose from the different brothers of Jesse. And outward appearance would say that any one of those brothers would have been a better choice than David. Right? But God says, I'm not looking at the outward appearance, I'm looking at the heart. And that is really the fundamental message this morning, is what's in our heart, not, is the ex, what is the ex, not what the external is. So they're accusing Paul of not being very attractive, not being very interesting, not being powerful in the way he speaks. Um, and that's the accusation. And he answers them by, first of all, in the, verse, in the first verse he says... Um, 
by humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. He comes in that humility and gentleness. That meekness is not weakness, it's having power, but it's able to control that power and only how to use it. That's meekness. And he refers to the spiritual warfare. We know about it in Ephesians 6, don't we, where we have the armor of God. The spiritual warfare that's taking place is not a practical, a personal attack, really. It's a spiritual attack. And that's what's happening um, in churches today. It's happening in our country today, that there's a spiritual warfare going on. But he is reassuring them that we don't fight, we don't respond to those situations the way the world would. The natural reaction in the world if this is happening, if someone's speaking very powerfully and very attractive, is to say, well, how can I be more persuasive when I talk? How can I be more powerful when I talk? How can I be more attractive and present things? How can I have more loud music and make it even bigger and bigger so that people will listen to me? And he's saying, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not fighting the way the world would fight. We're going to deal with it in a spiritual way. And the warfare he talks about, it's, it's not just a one-off incident, it's a campaign that is going on, that the, the powers of hell are fighting against the work of God. That is happening today. And we have to be realistic about it. There are walls of resistance being built up. In verse 5, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the, it's, it's th things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and will take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. There's that wall of resistance. It's like the wall of Jericho, if you like. And that's happening in the world today, that people are saying that the word of God is not true. There are arguments being put forward as to why we shouldn't believe in the word of God. It's just an aside, there was a quiz we were watching, I think it might have been something stupid like pointless, but there was a, a question on it, it was a multiple choice, and it was how long has the earth been in existence? And the first option was 4.5 million years, the next was 45 million years, then it was 450 million years, and the fourth option was 4.5 billion years. And I, I just thought, this is, this is the kind of argument that's being put forward, isn't it? There's no recognition about creation at all. And I would just love to have been on that programme and say, I'm not prepared to answer any of those <laughs> multiple choice questions. The answer, actually, they came up with was 4.5 billion years. And we get this now presented to us as fact. And this is the spiritual warfare that's going on. And there's that wall of resistance. High-minded thinking that presents itself in a way that, well, you cannot argue with this because it has to be fact. The wisdom of man, well, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. So that puts the wisdom of man in its place. And we need to come to that point of recognizing that there's a spiritual battle going on. But how do we then tackle it? Well, it's interesting, we don't tackle it by persuasive arguments. What we do is we tackle it by spiritual armour. And those are things like humility, love, prayer, the word of God, faith. 
These very simple things which Paul was displaying himself in this meekness and this humility, those are the powerful ways the spiritual warfare can be put against these arguments that are splitting the society and in some cases splitting churches. It's difficult for us to do that. As I mentioned earlier, we're in society and therefore we learn from society and we adopt society's views and we're being encouraged here to think differently. Remember the walls of Jericho? They had to walk around seven for seven days. And I'm sure that as we're walking around, the people were looking at them laughing and mocking them. And then they blew their trumpets and what happened? The walls fell down. And it's a similar principle, isn't it? People will laugh at us if we adopt an attitude of humility and meekness, of faith, of love, of praying for situations, of referring to the word of God in every situation. People will mock us. But when we do that, these walls of resistance will come down. That's how we have to tackle these situations and Paul is presenting that to them that they are looking for at things the totally wrong way then in verses 7 to 11 he talks about spiritual authority because they were questioning his authority and they were boosting the authority of those who were amongst them the false teachers Jesus when he was here he told us not to be like the Gentiles who were lording over other people and his, in the example of his own life, he came as a servant. He came to minister to other people. That was his approach. He had huge authority as a son of God. And yet he came as a servant to serve. And Paul is a good example of Christ in the way he served. The Corinthians didn't get it. They didn't understand that concept because they've been they've bought into this idea that these false teachers have got it right. They're so attractive to follow. They're the people we want to listen to. And it was personality preaching rather than the meekness and the humility that Paul was presenting. Paul's used authority, he tells us in this passage, I use it to build people up. False teachers use authority to build themselves up. They boost themselves, they boost one another, and they have a nice little club that presents themselves. The correct use of authority, and it applies to each one of us, because we all have areas of authority in our lives, is an evidence of our maturity as a Christian. An immature person will use authority to swell themselves up swollen heads but the mature Christian they will use that authority to grow other people and to grow themselves spiritually that's how it will be used so the authority the spiritual authority that comes from God is not one that's of the world it's not one that's boosting our own self esteem it's one that says I will do these things in a meek in a mild way, but with authority from God. Then the third section is spiritual ministry, verses 12 to 18. Now, ministry 
uh, when we're talking about in Christian things, applies to each one of us. Every single person has a ministry that God has given them to do. If you look at uh, a company, for example, um, and someone stands up in front of all the employees and says, every one of you here is important to this company. You're all the same, from the managing director right down to the lady who does the tea. And immediately they've blown it. Because immediately by those, that phrase, they've recognised that there's a hierarchy. And in the church, we're going to be so careful of that. The ministry we have is as important to God for each one of us. And we can't elevate certain ministries above others. They're all important. And we all have them. But we've got to again be careful about how we measure those ministries. There's a false measurement, and it's mentioned here in this passage, where we measure against one another. God is not asking us to compare ourselves with each other when it comes to his ministry. We can sometimes use external measures, um, or we can use legalistic ways by saying, well, I've not done those things. There's a list of things I haven't done, or a list of things I have done, and we measure ourselves by that. But the true measurement is how internally we are being transformed. It's, again, these are not easy things to measure because we cannot see inside. It's so much easier to measure ourselves by some kind of don't-do list. But Paul is saying that ministry, true ministry, will affect us inside. It will be an internal transformation, a renewing of the mind, a transforming of ourselves spiritually. Three questions to ask regarding our ministry. First one, am I where God wants me to be? These are questions that we can take on board and ask that question. Paul was able to answer it quite clearly. He says, I'm in the right place. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And hopefully we can all say the same, that we are in the right place. We're not competing with other people. We're not looking at other churches and saying, well, they seem to be doing slightly better than us. Because they've got more numbers, or this, that, and the other. That's not what we're to do when we're ministry. We're not competing. We are living to do what God has called us to do in that ministry. So the first question is, am I where God wants me to be? Is God glorified by my ministry? The Corinthians, again, got it wrong, didn't they? They gloried in themselves. They took great delight in how popular they were and the authority that they seemed to have over one another. And God is saying, well, is, is God glorified by the ministry I'm doing? Is there fruit coming from what I'm doing, how I'm serving God in this place? And that fruit in itself gives glory to God. And the third question is, can the Lord commend my work? You notice it's, can the Lord commend my work? They were relying on other people to commend their work. Now, sometimes there are times when it is good to commend one another and encourage one another, but the bottom line is, does the Lord commend the work that we're doing? In the last verse, it talks about, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. It's very easy to boast about the things we've done but the one whom the Lord commends. That word approved is, is tested. 
And God will send testings into our situation, whether personal or as a church. He will test us. And how we respond to that testing is so important because it proves it in the fire. And if we respond to it and learn from it and able to cope with it and deal with it and minister continually through it, then the Lord is able to commend us for the work that we are doing. I just encourage us, as we look at this, to think about that spiritual warfare that I mentioned that is going on in our lives, but also in the world today, and we see it in society. And it's a real threat to the work of God. And we need to respond to that threat by spiritual armour, which is not the armour that the world would want to use, but the armour that God has given us, humility and love and prayer. And encourage one another in doing that. Encourage one another in the ministries that we all have been given that as we seek to serve God in whatever way he's given us, that we'll do it that there may be fruit for him, that would encourage one another to serve. Jim was just mentioning about people coming forward to help in situations. And there are many situations that we'll find there is help needed. And that each person is so vital to the local assembly as we seek to serve him. So let's just pray as we come to an end of that passage. Dear God and Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for the word of God that is so powerful, so precious, so challenging. And we confess to you that there are times and things in